electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. On today's episode, inflation may be slowly cooling, finally, but the debt ceiling negotiations in Washington are still heating up. Could you hear heads exploding all over the liberal land? It did not sound like fireworks at my window. There was. And trading app Robinhood is rolling out 24-hour trading on weekdays. CEO Vlad Tenev on why brokerages are overdue on this shift. If you look at equity markets and how they've evolved, the trading hours haven't changed since the 80s. And in that time period, markets have gone electronic. Those stories, plus is the luxury art market under pressure this spring? Go weigh in on Twitter. You love getting the Twitter love, don't you? I do. I love getting the Twitter love. It's Thursday, May 11th, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. First up today on the podcast, inflation. The entrenched price increases that have impacted our economy and driven the central bank's monetary policy for the last year may be slowing down. Finally, for the 10th month in a row, inflation has cooled. For April, wholesale prices rose less than they were expected to, according to today's producer price index. The PPI measured prices for final demand goods and services at a 0.2% increase. The consumer price index, released Wednesday, showed an annual increase of 4.9% across a broad swath of goods and services. That's the lowest annual pace since April of 2021, and it's the first time below 5% in five years. It's a tick down, but the Fed has been targeting a 2% rate, so we still have a long way to go. Here's Joan Becky again. Yesterday's inflation report showed CPI falling to its lowest annual level in two years. About one top Fed official, not convinced that the central bank has done enough. Speaking to the Associated Press, Richmond uh, Fed President, this guy, Tom Barkin, said inflation remains stubbornly high and is no longer uh, making much progress toward the Fed's 2% target. Now, Barkin says that core CPI has been stuck in a range of 03 to 0.5% for months when the Fed would like to see that core number moving down. Most economists, though, believe the Fed will, will now pause uh, its rate hikes. Barkin says the Fed's message after last week's meeting was explicitly not a pause, but an option to wait or do more uh, if that's appropriate. And there's a lot to wait for because there's a lag when you raise rates. And there's also the, the credit uh, contraction that, that we may be witnessing from, uh, from the tumult in uh, in the banking sector did you see greg ipps piece yesterday from the wall street journal it it was maybe it's in today's paper but i saw it yesterday when they first put it out he raised questions about 
is it concerning that we've gotten so used to inflation? We all looked at that number yesterday as a good number. Right. The core number at five and a half percent is the steady, much higher than the Fed wants inflation that we all seem to have gotten used to at this point. Yeah. And, and once consumers get used to the idea of higher inflation, that's when they say it really gets entrenched because instead of worrying about inflation anymore, it's not something that's high on consumers' minds anymore. It's not something that's really mentioned in the corporate conference uh, calls because that what they're talking about is their ability to raise prices and to not have any pushback from consumers. And if you resign to it, then you don't shop around and right. find that. And, uh, and it's not until consumers really get to the point where they won't pay for like it anymore. like inelastic, you exactly. can do it anyway. <clears throat> right, and I hadn't really thought of it from, from that perspective before, just the idea that once you get used to it, it's a bigger problem and harder to uh, to to kill off. I don't know. After 4.9 comes 3.9. And then after 3.9, you know, eventually. Five and a half percent. But the, the point was that most of the reason that you saw the decrease was because you were looking at the headline number and energy prices have come down. But so a lot much. of the. If that goes back up quickly, that's right. why you have to really But used cars were a lot of the, the increase, too, though, because they had dropped off. I don't know why. Um, I don't know. Anything under 5%, it's, it's not. Five and a half on core, though. It's not like South American numbers. No, it's not. And it feels better because it's not at nine or eight and a half or nine percent like right. we were dealing with earlier. But I, I just hadn't considered it from that perspective until Greg had played. I just wish, you know, thoughtful. it's the same old story. I just wish yeah. we'd do supply solutions rather than Correct. demand solutions. Correct. But they, it's, they don't have a, uh, a perfect but way of doing it. it. Yeah. yeah. Right. All right, now let's talk about the debt ceiling debate. Speaking this morning ahead of the G7 finance minister meeting in Japan, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that the idea of letting the U.S. default on its debt is unthinkable, in her words. She said that that would undermine the U.S. and global economies. The notion of defaulting on our debt is something that would so badly undermine um, the U.S. and global economy that I think it should be regarded by everyone as unthinkable. This comes after former President Trump had this message for lawmakers at a CNN town hall last night. I say to the Republicans out there, congressmen, senators, if they don't give you massive cuts, you're going to have to do a default. And I don't believe they're going to do a default because I think the Democrats will absolutely cave because you don't want to have that happen. But it's better than what we're doing right now, because we're spending money like drunken sailors. <laughs> Takes one to know one. When pushed to clarify his remarks, Trump said that if Republicans hold strong, he believed Democrats would cave and agree to cuts to avoid default. So he's not advocating for a default. I think he's advocating for a negotiating tactic to get to that point. But again, people will point out that under the Trump presidency, um, this, this was not a fiscally austere uh, administration well, that was dealing with because he wanted to give money it up. Wasn't, it wasn't great, but then the pandemic hit, and yeah, that ramped it up. To right. But, and you could understand the reason for wanting to claw back unspent COVID funds. That makes mm. a lot of sense. Uh, but, yeah, nobody's been great about being fiscally. It was hard to follow. It was hard to follow a lot. It was a circus, uh, and it was hard to follow a, a lot of what was going on. But he, he said, if I was president, I wouldn't be saying this. But since I'm not president, I'm saying it. So it, I, it was hard to follow the logic of the. You understand that he always thinks of the negotiation. He yeah. always thought of himself as being a great negotiator. And right. I think he was advocating this more as a ploy to really. It was to, also to, to use it as a negotiation tactic. I, I don't think eventually, you know, you spend enough. Eventually, he was saying that that you're going to default anyway. That's not what happens. What happens is you just, your currency becomes, uh, it's a beggar thy neighbor right. situation. And, and, you know, th then you get the Weimar Republic. I mean, it, it, 
the modern monetary theory doesn't work. That's, I, no one wants to do that. But the way that it manifests itself isn't in a, an eventual default. We will never default. The United States can never default because it's the no, you just inflate the your dollar currency to the point where it's it, But you inflate your currency to, to the point where, you know, and the debt gets so high that servicing your debt takes away almost all the money you're able to do investment with so that the GDP is per, kind of can look at Europe over the years. They, they had a, a GDP that's like 40% lower than ours, historically, because so much debt service for entitlements and the entitlement state that they run over there. So. Right, and with interest rates higher, that's a much bigger concern. Um, yep. It's already costing us a lot more. It was wild last I, I It was wild. Um, it was on CNN. It was so funny that it was on CNN. They go from, they go from the old CNN to, I mean, I think Fox would have felt like, oh my God, we're going to hear so much about she, she tried, the, the, the moderator obviously tried, but they had all Republicans in the room, right? Somehow they let that happen in New Hampshire and um, they just kept cheering. They kept cheering and it was very, it was bizarre. I, I couldn't believe it was on CNN. I just couldn't believe it. Um, it was crazy. Microsoft uh, is going to skip salary increases for full-time employees this year. That's according to an email from CEO Sadia Nadella, probably a good source. Uh, and count on that. And that was the staffers yesterday. Last year, as inflation rippled through the economy, Microsoft nearly doubled the budget for merit increases. It also boosted stock allocations for certain employees. This year, the bonus and stock award budget will be, uh, in their words, closer to historical averages. The move is part of cost cutting that included 10,000 jobs. Uh, that was announced uh, back in January. Cheese will be next. Coming up, investing app Robinhood rolling out a new product and strong revenue in its first quarter. CEO Vlad Tenev on customer confidence amid economic volatility. As a lot of financial institutions are seeing customers take money out, we're seeing customers bringing money in, and that be rather strong. More Squawk Pod will be right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. We're back. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. Andrew uh, is off today. Shares of Robinhood are up in the pre-market. The online brokerage firm posted a first quarter revenue beat and its first increase in monthly active users in two years. It also announced 24-hour trading five days a week for several dozen ETFs and big stocks like Tesla, Amazon and Apple. 
Joining us right now first on Squawk Box is Vlad Tenev. He is the CEO of Robinhood. And Vlad, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for having me. All right, let's talk first about what you're doing with this 24-hour trading for some ETFs and some stocks. Um, my yeah. guess is that's something you're doing because you want to make sure it's available for customers, but also a way to bring in additional revenue. Yeah, as we look at it, um, what this product allows is customers can now trade individual stocks as well as ETFs uh, 24 hours a day, five days a week. And that makes us the first U.S. retail brokerage to offer 24-hour trading of individual stocks. If, if you look at sort of the, the equity markets and how they've evolved, the trading hours haven't changed since the 80s. And in that time period, markets have gone electronic. So it's time to, to change that and to upgrade it and to make it more like software than a brick and mortar institution. And we're happy for what it allows our customers to do, manage their risk 24 hours a day and trade stocks and, and make investments, uh, whatever time uh, opportunities arise. Let's talk about your monthly average users. They were up 400,000 sequentially, but you're still down to 11.8 million daily average, monthly average users from 15.9 million in the year earlier quarter. What, what do you see just in terms of who wants to trade, who's willing to get on uh, onto the markets, who you think you can lure just in terms of growth? Because it's a lot tougher to do in a down market like we've seen. I've been very proud of, of what we've been able to accomplish in these challenging macro conditions. If you look back a year ago, there were questions about how Robinhood would do in a high interest rate environment. Obviously, we did quite well in 2020 and 2021 when interest rates were low and trading volumes were, were quite high. But if you look at the past year, we've diversified the business and now 50% of our revenue is net interest revenue. And along the way, we've continued to innovate for customers, not just with 24-hour market, but also rolling out gold, which gives customers 4.65% interest on their uninvested cash with $2 million in FDIC insurance, which is very useful in this current environment. And our retirement product, which is the first IRA with a built-in 1% match. So... Um, in this environment, there are opportunities to provide value to customers, and we've been rolling out products that make a lot of sense and are, are quite useful given the, the market conditions. Net interest revenue, as you pointed out, was $208 million in the first quarter. That was up sharply. I think it was only $55 million in the quarter a year ago. Um, part of what you do also is loan out money to people who want to use it to buy securities, and, and that can be great for the customers. I just wonder, are you confident that these are all good loans and that you'll be repaid? We've been we've been doing uh, this business line since close to the very beginning. Uh, you're you're referring to margin lending, and um, you know it's it's not a new thing for us. We have added uh, additional products for customers like stock lending, which allows them to earn extra yield uh, on on their stocks that they may be holding at Robinhood which I think is also very useful to customers in an environment where there's less trading and they just kind of wanna, wanna hold on to their positions. And that product line, uh, we've seen really fantastic uh, increases of, and it, it's now um, combined with another product we launched approaching the size of our overall US equities business. So I think, um, yeah, you, you've seen 
perhaps other products become interesting to customers, but we we also see a core group of active traders that you know are a little bit more sophisticated in 24-hour market with the ability to trade things like Tesla, Apple, and Amazon round the clock on weekdays um, is, is very, very useful to those customers as well. Vlad, how much are, are your, not only your number of monthly active users, but the number of transactions tied to a rising market? In the first quarter, um, look, markets did pretty well, but do you think it's, it's something that's sustainable even if markets are down for the quarter? Um, I think that you, you'll you'll see things fluctuate quarter to quarter a little bit. Um, long-term trends that we look at are net deposits into the platform. Robinhood has seen inflows in Q1, um, 29% growth of inflows of customer net deposits year over year, um, which it was about $4.4 billion in Q1, $1.5 billion uh, in March alone. So you you know, as a lot of financial institutions are seeing customers take money out, uh, we're seeing customers bringing money in and that be rather strong. And you're also seeing increases in customer satisfaction. We've been able to drive net promoter scores of active traders up 30 points and uh, all of our customers average net promoter scores up 20 points year over year, which we're incredibly proud of shows customers are trusting Robinhood increasingly in this uncertain environment. It, it also probably is an attraction to the 4.5% that you're paying on deposits. How much does that cost you, and can you maintain your net interest um, margins? It, it, yeah, how, how do you do that? We, we, do, we do collect uh, a margin on that offering. So even though 4.65% for gold is industry-leading, um, it's it's a sustainable offering for us, and we're just taking much less of the margins than you know, your typical bank or, or other brokerage offering this product. Um, banks, for example, are structurally prevented from increasing rates a lot of the time because they have this asset liability mismatch where they have loans at relatively low interest rates that they took on during uh, during COVID and kind of the the long term low rate environment. So I think that's uh, an opportunity for Robinhood and our customers because they can't get the type of yields that we're offering uh, readily from from other participants. But how do you? I, I guess I'm still a little confused as to how you're able to pay the 4.65 percent. How that doesn't um, cut into your margins at all? Yeah, it's it's a great product, and um, we are offering uh, a great product for customers. We have margins on it. But what what we do is we sweep customer cash to a network of banks, and that's how we're able to to offer the two million dollars in FDIC protection over and on top of what you get from a typical bank. Um, and and we've seen a lot of growth in in sweep balances, um, billions of dollars of of additional growth over the past few quarters since we've introduced it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, we're out of time. I would love to dig into this more deeply because I think I'm still missing something. But Vlad, we appreciate your time today. Um, and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you. Up next on Squawk Pod, the luxury art market is feeling the pressure of economic uncertainty. CNBC's wealth reporter Robert Frank paints an auctioneer's picture of the $2 billion worth of art going on sale this spring. From Picasso to Poof, we cover it all. <laughs> Welcome back to Squawk Pod. 
Here's Joe Kernan. Stand by, Joe. His mic. Q. After the uh, art market boom of 2021 and 2022, with over a half dozen works selling for over $100 million, uh, May sales at Sotheby's and Christie's are likely to be more muted. Uh, Robert Frank joins us now uh, with more. Do they have any NFTs at these places? The NFT market is kind of Rough. faded, and, and they don't have any Heim Satines either. I've been looking for you, but they don't have any. But they do. Becky loves Rothko. They do have. You're looking for a thought. <laughs> He probably does. Is it the creamsicle one? <laughs> Nobody draws a line across two colors like him. Like he, he I was mean, the it's best. just, oh, he's amazing. He Lucky. was the best. And altogether, you have more than $2 billion worth of art scheduled to hit the auction block over the next week. Volatility in the stock market and the economy likely to limit a lot of that bidding. The March sales in London, that's kind of a precursor. That was down 24% over last year with half the number of works selling for a million or more. Now, the May sales would start tonight in New York. And next week, none of the works estimated at over 50 million. A lot of that is due to supply, but also because bidders really aren't as confident right now, given what's happening in the financial markets. Now, the star of the week is this Basquiat triptych. That's at Christie's. It's called the Nile. It sold at auction in 2005 for $5 million. The low estimate there now is $45 million. They also have a beautiful Picasso. It's a 1932 portrait of his golden muse, Marie Therese, that's estimated at $40 million. Sotheby's going to sell a rare landscape by Gustav Klimt. It was painted in 1901. This is a gorgeous oh, piece. Wow. It's expected to sell for over $45 million. Gustav got, Klimt I can get into. He, he, this yeah. piece is gorgeous. There's also two big collections headed to sale. One from the late Mo Austin. He's the great record executive signed Fleetwood Mac, Jimi Hendrix, The Grateful Dead. That collection of his could total $120 million at Sotheby's. The other great collection from Jerry Feinberg. He was a Boston real estate investor. That's likely to top $270 million. This all starts tonight with uh, Cy Newhouse, some of his collection, of course, the Condé Nast owner. Uh, that collection is going to start tonight at Christie's. So it's going to be an interesting week to watch what happens with these prices. You know, the very top, the billionaire types that buy this stuff, they're largely unaffected. But everyone's affected by asset prices and the cost of money right now. I just can't resist. Any Hunter Bidens uh, coming up for sale? There, well, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, they sell for eighty thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars. You know that, but none in this particular. Not that I'm aware of. Okay, not that you're aware of. I do that for Twitter. I do that just so you're laughing. You like that because you love the you love getting the Twitter love, don't you? I do. I love getting the Twitter love. Um, I just want. I mean, when you look at NFTs, you look at crypto, you look at art, you look at Chinese ceramic pottery, you look at it, it, the, what are these? How, how do you characterize those? It, they're it, assets. Well, they're, in an inflationary environment, yeah. why aren't they going up? Well, that was the argument for art. Traditionally, has been a great inflationary hedge, but That's the what cost, I mean. we're in rampant inflation. Well, it's coming down. I guess. You know, and, and but by the same time, the the pace of interest rate increases interest has, caused, up. has caused every asset, and so. The minds of the buyers today is just every asset that I have, except for some real estate, is going down. So therefore, why should I pay the same price for this painting as I would have in 2021? So all these prices are going to come down. Question is how much? So my chance of getting a Soutine for $1,000, what would that be? It would be a postcard from the gift shop. You a postcard get, from the gift shop. Maybe framed. For $1,000. <laughs> some what? Some poutine. It's Canadian French fries with the cheese and stuff. But on not top. a soutine. Not a soutine. Okay. I thought you were saying that poop spray. No. That, that we did. Poutine. That's what I. Poops. Because we just had an add on that I saw for I think the. It's pronounced uh, poof. Poof. Yeah. And you can use it. You can 
for mouthwash? I don't know if everybody saw the same ad we I just know. saw. Well, from Picasso to Poof, we cover it all. <laughs> right. Poof, just like that, today's podcast is done. Thank you for listening today, as always. Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin host our TV broadcast, Squawk Box, every weekday morning. To catch them live, tune in to CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And of course, for the highlights from that three-hour show, you can tune in right here. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now and never miss an episode. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.